To episode 33 of The Hilo, the current affairs and pop culture podcast hosted by Dolly Alderton and Pandora Sykes. Feels like we haven't done this for a while, doesn't it, Dolly? It does. We have that mad week of Hilo intensity when I basically felt like every time I was falling asleep, there was an echo chamber of the Hilo theme tune just going round and round in my head. <laughs> and then we had a big two week hiatus. We had our two live events. Thank you so much to everyone who came to our live episodes at Tibbetts and Selfridges. You were great, both those crowds we loved. I thought you meant that to me and I was like, thanks Dolly, you were great Babe, too. Babe, you were also great. <laughs> and then we had our author special with the vlogger and author Jim Chapman last week. And now Dolly's back from monsoon season in Thailand and here we are in the studio and so much has happened. I actually really miss the highlights. because there were so many things I wanted to talk about in the last few weeks which made me realise that the show serves a real purpose for me in terms of the way I engage with the news. I've now forgotten everything I wanted to talk about. I'm so self-obsessed when you just said so much has happened. I thought, has it? All I did was lie on a beach. <laughs> <laughs> this so isn't going to be news. interesting. Quite a lot to Oh, happened. the news. Oh, that old thing. Oh, okay. So how was monsoon season? Do you know what? Monsoon season was actually pretty sexy because it was really hot and sunny during the day and then there were these big, sonorous, earth-shaking storms in the evening, which Good I Good you loved. got it that way around. It's not yeah. always that way around. Yeah, no, it was great. I mean, Thailand is beautiful, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, a big revelation there. Thailand is beautiful. Puppies are cute. Chocolate's delicious. I think because so many people have gone to... So many people I know have gone to Thailand, I expected it to feel really trodden by a tourist path but it is just the most beautiful beaches I've ever seen so it was lovely I had a wonderful time the first few days I did was... you make any new friends did I not send you a photo of my new friend no made two new friends befriended a monk Anna May we've been emailing sweet he's a really really nice man actually he thinks I'm a monk I'm... who emails yeah well he's like a former monk who now helps people on the path to enlightenment and he said I'm an attentive student Pandora and I'm well on my do way do you feel there. enlightened he tell, he sent I can I can forward you the email of the summarization of everything we talked about. I felt very um I felt very calm after speaking to him and I felt like I had a very clear idea in my head when I came home of the things I had to do to make my life easier. I actually think you'd really like reading what he said to me. I'd love to read I'll that. To you. Um so yeah, no, it was lovely. The first few days I was there on a kind of wellness retreat. You know, I'm a massive fan of wellness. Well, it was like not wellness in that sense. I still got to like stuff my face with pad thai. Um, the interesting thing is I didn't, I wasn't allowed caffeine. So I did, well, I wasn't not allowed. I decided, I opted not to have caffeine. And I just, There's a real difference between those two statements. <laughs> they advised not to have caffeine. And I had a caffeine withdrawal. Have you ever had it? Yeah. My mum gets it terribly. Fuck me. It was, it made me realise that I've You got drink to a lot of coffee down. though. You drink yeah. a lot more than me. Yeah. Well, since I've come back, the, what they advised is they said, you now should not, I was having three double shots a day. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you should have more than two coffees a day. I'm just sticking to one now. And they also said, don't get frothy, Starbucksy, Cafe Nero-y coffees. Get a French press and have pure coffee just with milk because they put so much additives in shop-bought coffee and that apparently is what gives you the withdrawal. Really? Because I don't know if I agree with that, although these people are probably much more trained in that area than me. Because my mum got terrible withdrawal from um, tea. 
She just oh, did tea. she? Yeah, she tried to give it up once and she had crippling headaches. The headache was extraordinary. It was like behind my eye and it, I'd never had a headache like it and they were like, that is a classic caffeine withdrawal. And that shows you how potent it is. The only slightly dicey moment that I had was before, because it was all quite last minute, the trip, I didn't have time to get a rabies jab. And did you not go to the SDA clinic like I told you? To? Yeah, I did, but they were like, it's too late to, to get rabies. It's too late you. for you, yeah. This woman who was rather funereal doctor said to me, if you go anywhere near a dog that scratches you or if a monkey scratches you, you have to go to hospital immediately. So I was like, I'm not going to see a monkey. And then I got to the pier that took me to the island for my second leg of the trip and it was it was pretty basic, the whole setup. And I was sitting in this kind of I have to I didn't envy you with your open air. <sighs> I bloody hate open air. Open air bedroom. After just having been bitten to death on what was actually a really expensive honeymoon, Ollie and I were like, never again. I know. And what's so funny is when you're booking it, like from your comfy <laughs> bed in London, you think, oh, this will be really sexy and like out of Africa. And it's not. It's really stressful and loud. But anyway, I was waiting for the boat to take me to the island. And I heard this screaming and I turned around and it was these like wild monkeys, pack of wild monkeys. <laughs> baring their teeth. Did they scratch you? A wave of them were coming towards me. So I just went, I haven't had my rabies jab. I haven't had my rabies jab. And then this kindly German couple shielded me with their backpacks. Isn't that nice? So relations are strong. <laughs> Have you been? So I spent the last few weeks um, convalescing, though somehow my insomnia is worse than ever before, and um, sort of preparing for our big house move at the beginning of December. But as I've had a lot of downtime in the evenings I've managed to consume quite a lot of things which is fun so um, here is a quick download of what I've been enjoying which we will share in the notes to the podcast and we'll try and do as ever a bullet point list on Twitter if anyone who works at Twitter is listening to this please give the high low 280 characters on Twitter so many people seem to have 280 characters on Twitter I thought they've rolled it out to everyone now I still can't get it on ours. Okay. And it is an absolute nightmare trying to list books. You can list like half a book in one tweet. Um, so I finished Mount by Jilly Cooper, which is hilarious. But God, I am really surprised at some of of how out of date it is. I'm really, really? surprised by the fact that but hearing from you what your publishers have flagged with your book and how yeah. careful you have to be about misinterpretation yeah, or, yeah. you know, gauging. I, I can't believe the amount of the, the way they talk about um, why well, anyone who isn't white or uh, yeah, really? uh, yeah, I actually don't even particularly want to to say some of the stuff I was really shocked about reading in it. I did really enjoy it, but yes, it does feel very out of touch. When was it published? Last year. Jeez, wow. This year, maybe last year. Maybe, maybe she just operates in a jelly cheaper realm. Where she it's... does, she does. It just feels in this age unusual yeah. to read that yeah. um, I had to take a break from American Girls by Nancy Jo Sales which is brilliant and astounding in terms of how much I've learned but it's also very intense and just quite depressing because it's all about um, social media and the internet and the way in which it affects teenage girls and there are all these secret messenger apps that they use to send sexts and to bully each other, like Yik Yak. Have you ever heard Never of that? Never even heard of it. Absolutely loads of these apps that 13-year-old girls are using. Oh, and this makes you despair knowing you're bringing a little girl into the world as well. It was honestly, reading this book, it's quite 
it's quite a turgid read in that it is it's it's basically like reading a sort of um you know it's like a study like an academic she's, yeah she's yeah. interviewing people all the time so it would be quite it's not something i can read very quickly but it's not something i could just sort of read in a mm. in a few days so it's good to dip in and out of um but it is really depressing it really is i mean i don't know if it's worse in america i feel like it might be worse in america than it is here i don't know why i always feel like they're more sort of um technologically saturated than we are maybe mm. we're just a smaller territory so it doesn't become so commonplace that's what spread, i think it is yeah. bread is such yeah. a culture i also picked up um a book of short stories by roald dahl that i'd never seen before i always think i've read all of roald dahl and then i chance upon another thing and i'm like my god how did i never know about that so lust have you heard of that no so i picked up lust which is an anthology of short stories all around you know sex and lust by roald dahl oh, um, i'd love to read that yeah it, do you know what it's it really highlighted for me um, what I had heard before, but his sometimes meanness as an author. Oh. So um, a lot of these stories, again, it's quite problematic reading him write about sex because um, in Great Uncle Oswald, the whole thing's just about raping women, basically. It's like a jovi, mm. it's like a rape caper mm. um and in some of these there is redemption like in the great switcheroo which is two husbands um shagging each other's wives great in the middle of the night in the middle of the night and they practice so that they can seamlessly at 2am go into each other's beds shag each other's wives and then come back without the wives noticing and one of them and the guy that comes <laughs> up with it does get his comeuppance because his wife the next day is very quiet and he's like oh my god she's guessing he's like you're right and she was like my darling I just don't know what to do I've always thought sex was so awful and last night you just showed me the way and he's like fuck it's his best friend but that's so, because the, the woman gets the last laugh though I suppose. the woman gets the last yeah. laugh so that was quite enjoyable but there are some there, there was there are some stories that I found quite problematic but it also sent me into an internet um uh, a sort of deep dive, dull deep dive of the internet. And I found a profile by the um, fiction author Zoe Heller, written for the New Republic in 2010 on Roald Dahl. And it reveals, as Lust does, that he was quite a cruel man. And it's always sad to discover this, but I feel like it's something that's quite commonplace for children's authors. Ina Blyton was similarly said to be very mean really? to her children. It's a brilliant profile. I'll link it in the show notes. He had an extraordinary life, a really troubled life. I remember reading it in Boy, actually, but he had his nose was clean chopped off by a car when he was about nine and it got sewed back on. Oh and his son... Um, was uh, brain damaged by a car accident when he was a baby. His daughter died of um, something like measles when she was seven. He had a lot of tragedy, but mm. my God, he was an interesting, conflicted... Complicated. Complex, and yeah. yes, quite often quite mean writer. He only started writing children's um, books because his adult work wasn't selling. Oh, really? It was with great reluctance. And The Great Switcheroo, as many of the stories in Lust... R was written for Playboy. Really? Yes, another brilliant author that wrote for Playboy. It's so funny, isn't it, how in now in common consciousness Playboy is seen as such a rag, but it's like has real journalistic prestige. He wrote a lot of them in the 60s and 70s. I will um I will give the book to you and you can see what you think. On the advice of a reader, I bought and devoured the thriller Disclaimer by Renee Knight in one day. Um if you liked Gone Girl, which I sort of did, you'll like this. I also watched series two of Stranger Things, which was great. There's obviously been a lot of chat about it on Twitter, although I'm now convinced that my cat is building an upside down under the bed. It makes me really sceptical of anything that she's doing now. 
I think God, she's doing like got to stop this. Demogorgon things. She's too humanised. <laughs> I watched some of Mine Hunter, which is a new Netflix series that everyone is a buzz about. Two FBI agents from the seventies who interview murderers about why they did the grisly crimes they did. It's very psychological. Oy, it's don't really know fascinating. If I, can that. I think you'd find it really interesting. But it depends. Do you like crime? Do you ever watch like CSI or Well, do you know what? I do find it interesting, but since this is an awful thing to admit, I think I've said it before on the podcast, since living on my own, I find it quite difficult to watch that stuff now. I couldn't watch that and then go to bed in a flat on my own. You have to keep all the lights on. Yeah, and what is it that you said? You do you put the laptop at the other end? Yeah, of really the... far away. <laughs> Physical distance happens. I do actually watch stuff through my hand as well because when Oli and I went to Babington House for a few days when um, you were in Thailand and we went to their cinema there and we watched It, you know, about the clown. Oh god! Actually, isn't very wasn't very good. Um, no, but I, I watched. That. I watched that. I do actually watch stuff through my palm. <laughs> um, and just lastly, I read. A brilliant piece by the MP Jess Phillips in The Observer last weekend uh, titled A Terrible Toxic Week at Westminster. Because obviously, I mean, I think it's seven MPs now who have been Mm. talking about resigning. Michael Fallon obviously resigned after hand on knee gate. Stephen Crabb admitted to sexting a teenager. Anyway, I just wanted to quote a bit of her piece because I thought it was really genuinely brilliant. My week was not fun, and before I dive into the detail of it, I want to offer a disclaimer. I am not playing the victim. I am not a victim. I was not triggered. I am not a snowflake. I am an avalanche. To the bystander, a steady stream of accusations popped up as the week unfolded. For me and a few others, it was constant, like a patriarchal tinnitus. Almost all of the allegations that hit the headlines, from my side at least, was revelatory as the winner of this year's Bake Off final. People often say it's hard to get victims to come forward, but I've never found this to be the case. If you make yourself open, non-judgmental, and if you know what you're talking about, people come and tell you what crap is happening to them. I've been lining up pro bono lawyers, making referrals, listening to stories, reading over statements, arranging meetings for disclosure and helping people to report on their process. I have acted like a heavy and a nursemaid within the same half hour. Then in a moment of quiet, I'll nip down from my office to grab a cup of tea and walk past some of the men I knew were lawyering up or trip over the chair of the man we all knew had been sexting a teenager who came to him for a job. There he was, keeping his diary appointments while I cancelled all of mine to try and mop up his mess. His diary appointments were probably with fancy bloody businesses or, I don't know, chats about how hopeful he is that he'll still win beard of the year. I'm pleased he didn't miss them. But I'm sorry to those that I cancelled. I'm sorry to the victims of violence who needed help in my constituency office where I would normally be on a Thursday or Friday. I'm sorry to the people whose emails I haven't got round to answering. Perhaps I'll forward last week's casework to Stephen Crabb for him to handle. He seems to be cracking on. But then again, probably best not. I'm not sure the people with problem neighbours want bothering with sexts. She's amazing, Jess Phillips. It's so interesting to see an inside because yeah. I'd been really wondering... Very brave of her to write that as well. I think. And I love that she was like... Sorry to everyone whose appointments I had to cancel. I've just been, and also it reminds you of the like physical proximity that she is sort of tripping over these yeah. men as she goes about her. There's an odd place, Westminster. I'm also in awe of the phrase "I am not a snowflake, I am an avalanche." I think that will stick with me forever. Yeah, she's a great writer. Sophie Wilkinson actually has just given me a signed copy of her book. I can't wait to read it. Ah, oh, interesting. Mm. I'd be very interested to hear that was. Did you get lots of reading done when you were in? Thailand. I got a bit of reading done. I would like to have got more done, actually. But I read um, The Wife by Meg Wurlitzer, who you have been talking about for ages. I finally read a Meg Wurlitzer book. You've told me that I need to read The Interestings next because you think... I think that's her best one, yeah. But I loved The Wife. It was... she. Every sentence was 
a piece of art. Like, you know, when a writer is so good, you could just open at any page and pick out any sentence and it would probably be the best sentence I could write in a year. And it's just one of her throwaway sentences. She's just... I'm really surprised so she's good. not more famous, you know. I am as well. Because I I re- it's rare that I mention her and people go, oh, yeah. Maybe she's more famous in the States, but she, she my God, she de- deserves acclaim. I think she... I'm now going to go read everything yeah. that she's written. But I love The Wife. It's about a married couple, one of whom is um, a, a very famous novelist. And it's a really... It's quite a depressing read. Um, it's kind of talking retrospectively, looking back on their marriage. Um, I found it I found it quite grim. I, I hate to say it. I did see characteristics of myself in that awful husband, that writer character. Um but yeah, no, it was brilliant. Um, if you're nosy, like me, I just love reading about other people's marriages. So that's why I love that book. It's always a good dynamic in a novel. Um, I read, finally, Age 29, Valley of the Dolls. And it's so funny because when you and I had dinner right before I went away and I told you I was going to read it, you said, I don't know if it's your kind of book. And you were like, it's not that it's chick-litty. You couldn't find the word for it. And I know exactly what you mean. It's this seminal book that was written in the late 60s but the prose are very sparse and it's like a blockbuster as you're reading it it's like you're watching a film you don't get great kind of nourishment or um you know mental gymnastics from from reading her words but the story is really really gripping and it's salacious and it's fun um it's really sad though yes it's really sad it's really essentially about hollywood in the grip of a kind of upper and downer yeah. crisis in the way that women are um, kind of pushed towards med- medication in order to handle the yes. sexual pressures I think but it's also the reason it's it's the the cautionary tale of it I think is this is what happens when you operate as a woman within an industry where your entire value is how you look is superficial that's what I found to be the kind of cautionary tale of it it is very sad but it is also it's like so gripping. I read the whole thing in a day. And then I went and watched the film. I don't know why I did it to myself. I don't think I even knew there was a film. Is anyone famous in it? Yeah, Sharon Tate, Barbara Parkins. It was I was Sharon so Tate, excited to watch it. Is it terrible? It's the worst adaptation from a book I've ever watched. That's saying something. Yeah, yeah. It was so they missed out so much. It's like swathes. I would say they missed out seventy five percent of the narrative in the book. Um <laughs> But apparently it's got a cult following, that film. Anyway, if you haven't read the book, I would suggest... I think all women should read it. It's, it's a kind moment of in time. a classic. It's a moment in time, exactly. I watched the Joan Didion documentary, which went up on Netflix last week, called The Centre Will Not Hold. Uh, anyone who... Do, I'm sure you do know who Joan Didion is. Anyone who doesn't, she's kind of one of the most prominent voices of the 20th century reporting and she and writing the personal essay she's also a screenwriter um she's a writer who's kind of has always been deeply entrenched in big cultural moments probably her most famous story is uh, slouching towards bethlehem which is an investigative piece in which she went into the hippie movement in san francisco and investigated the craze for taking acid that was happening in that part of america at that time she's a really important writer for me i'm sure she's an important writer for many of our listeners and and the documentary didn't disappoint. Um, it's kind of a celebration of her work, her writing, her artistry, and it has quite intimate interviews with her where she speaks more honestly than any interview um, I've ever heard, both about the stories that she reported on and um, some very tragic events in her personal life. 
a listener recommended that we watch One of Us, which is another Netflix documentary um, about three Hasidic Jews who break away from the Hasidic Jew community in Williamsburg in Brooklyn and specifically about a charity that supports people breaking away from that community. And my God, it's a really, really, really good hour of TV. It's... I'm very aware that it's only one side of that story, but it's just so beautifully told and edited and it's very powerful and it taught me things about certain sides of Hasidic Judaism and that culture that I didn't know. So I'd really recommend that you watch that. And then while I was away, I mainly was just listening to loads and loads of podcasts. I listened to Barbara Streisand on Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing, which was amazing. Um the whole time it is she lives up to her diva reputation so much in it and it's um it's a really intimate kind of portrait of who she is at home you know she has these mad homes and she has her own shopping centers and stuff and she um she's eating throughout the whole thing and she talks about when she was um filming Yentl in England um, how much she loved English food and she was talking about all the kind of donuts she'd buy at Wimpy. It's just quite surreal listening to it. Did so you read the that. interview that he did with the Times? I no. think it was Janice Turner who interviewed him for the Saturday Times magazine last weekend. And um, he's very interesting in it because him, and, I didn't realise, obviously he's very famous now for his portrayal of Trump on Saturday Night Live. And his brother, Stephen, is a, is a big Trump supporter. Really? And he's very interesting in the way he talks about Stephen. He's like, well, Stephen's a classic Trump supporter. He dropped out of high school. He's uneducated. He likes to be delivered small sound bites that he can repeat at barbecues to know yeah. what he's talking about. Yeah. But he's also a massive ego himself. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah. It definitely comes across in the interview. But that comes but across in his podcast as well, I think. I haven't actually listened to enough I and I know this is awful I struggle to listen to his voice now because I associate it too much with Trump his his portrayal <laughs> of Trump is so good mm. it's and I think he acknowledges this it's hard for people to see beyond him I don't think he likes that his best work has been doing a satirization of the of the president mm. yes and unfortunately they've become inextricably linked for me um, so that was a really, really good episode, um, particularly for Barbara Streisand fans. Um, I also listened to Kay Mellor's Desert Island Discs, who, among many other things, she wrote Fat Friends. Do you remember that? Um, it was with James Corden. It kind of made James Corden famous, I think, that programme. Um, and she's just had a very interesting life. She got pregnant by her first boyfriend when she was 17, and she's celebrating her 50-year anniversary with him this year. So I actually found that the most interesting thing, her talking about that and what that meant at the time. Um, Marilyn Manson on WTF with Mark Maron that's a really really great interview um, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by Marilyn Manson I'm obsessed with Marilyn Manson not his music but, but him as a kind of artist and a person I find him really fascinating you should listen to it at the beginning Mark Maron does this disclaimer where he kind of says I think Marilyn Manson was off his tits in this interview you'll hear you'll hear it go kind of disintegrate in his voice a bit and you listen to it and he definitely is. Sounds I think, like he's on drugs. I think he, Mark Maron says he was drinking from a kind of suspicious water bottle the whole time, so I think he was just really, really pissed. But he admits to taking drugs in it. It's a very honest interview. But anyway, I found it very interesting. Um, and then I went very deep into our stable mate, Adam Buxton's... I've never listened to his podcast. What's it like? God, it's amazing. It's, really? It's so, it's so good. I'm addicted now. Um, and you will love the Zadie Smith interview. Um, she talks a lot about 
um, Trump. She talks about being transatlantic. She talks about um, raising a daughter who kind of the stuff that you and I found fast, find fascinating. She talks about raising a daughter who naturally gravitates to girlish things and how you reconcile that as a feminist. She's well, she's, really yeah, she's spoken before. I mean, we've discussed before yeah. about her imposing a 15-minute beauty limit on her daughter yeah. and the inevitable fallout of all those, you know, stop stop shaming people for their beauty routine, which I, I didn't think she was doing that. I thought no. she was given context. No, and actually she explains herself really well in it and she says you know, my daughter does gravitate towards the girly stuff or pink stuff, whatever. And she said, in in my feminist academic head, you want to say, no, turn away from that. But she was like, but also that's so misogynistic because we have to find a way to make the feminine not a humiliating thing. Because actually what she's saying when she says that is to be typically a girl is an embarrassment. Interesting, yeah. So yeah, it was very interesting. And then the other, oh, Kathy Burke is incredible on that podcast that's probably my favorite interview and then he's done three interviews with Louis Theroux who's an old friend of his from Westminster I think they were school friends and I love Louis Theroux all three interviews are brilliant but there's one extract that I'd like you to embed Charlie if that's okay from one of the interviews that I think is the funniest thing I've ever heard on a podcast and I still now, even thinking about it, it makes me want to... I can't think about it too much because I'll be in hysterics for the rest of the episode. We were talking about singing, weren't we? Yeah. And one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, I don't really... You know, I don't have a strong voice, but I've got this weird thing where I'm quite comfortable in the falsetto uh, range. Oh, really? How high do you go? Uh, Not as high as I used to, but... I'd rather have an actual song. Do you do falsetto when you do karaoke? Well, I do, yes. What's, I do. Um, what's your go-to karaoke? It's, um, Baccarat. Um, yes. yes, sir, I can boogie. Uh-huh. Do you know it? Sure. Have a go. Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie. Yeah. But I need a southern song. I, I can boogie, boogie, woogie, <laughs> all night long. Oh, yes, sir. I can boogie, but I need a certain song. I can boogie, boogie, woogie, all night long. It's a very clean, it's a very clean sound. We got some really funny and really sweet emails while we were away, and we just wanted to take a moment to read a couple of them. The first is from Jasmine. Hi, Pandora and Dolly. I've just started listening to a weekly podcast and I love them. It was a recommendation from my auntie Ruth, who is the most amazing and inspirational person. She would be great on your show. I think you'd get along amazingly. My name is Jasmine Leyland and I'm 15 and I live in Manchester. I love you both. Your podcast means so much. It would mean the world to me to get any response, but I know you are so busy. I read avidly and I would love you to recommend as many books as you can think of as capitals. I love books. I want to read more advanced fiction than just young teen but classics are not my favourite. Love from Jasmine. Kiss, kiss. Love, Jasmine. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Jasmine, I've been thinking about my favourite books. I would say some of them are, and this is not all of them because I have bloody baby brain. There'll be so many more that I love. But here are some that always come to mind. Any Human Heart by William Boyd. The Incredible Lightness of Being by Milan Kundera. Goodnight, Mr. Tom by Michelle Magorium. The Secret History by Donna Tartt. A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. And lots of other short stories that I can't think of off the top of my head. Marina Keegan's are very good. Dolly, how about you? Any Human Heart is my favourite book too. The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath, but I'm sure you've probably read that. The Moon's a Balloon by David Niven. 
Money by Martin Amis, The Rachel Papers by Martin Amis, Heartburn by Nora Ephron, and then probably Little Women by Louisa M. Alcott. Off the top of my head, those are my favourites. But remember, we also have a Goodreads profile where... Oh, God, I need to update my books. Oh, I thought I saw... my books for so long. Oh, I saw you had updated it. I was very proud of you. I haven't updated it in the last few weeks. I need to remember to go in every week, actually. But there's a list there of everything that we have read, are reading, are about to read. There's not a list of everything we've read. Oh, no, sorry. There's about 140 books yeah. on that shelf, and I'd be very, very <laughs> dismayed if anyone thought that was our, our it's lifelong... A, it's a top roundup. Yeah, exactly. It's just the ones that we think of that we think to add. And then another email we wanted to read. The subject of this one is Drunk Fangal. Hello, whilst I currently write a drunk note on my iPhone... Sick. <laughs> On a Tuesday night after the office Tuesday night Halloween party. Oh, the Tuesday night Halloween party. (laughs) That classic. And listen to your podcast on the tube home to Hackney. I must let you know amongst all of the intelligent chat and balanced debate, your podcast provides me with what can only be described as a state of calm. I increasingly find in a challenging period of my life at the age of 29, Yelp, anxiety and constant self-doubt is always within arm's reach and calm is extremely hard to find and cling on to through a normal working week. I'm your average society panicked singleton. This isn't a lick-ass post. I want to simply applaud you in being so brilliantly brave in everything you put out there and would love to hear your insight into the secret to being dot 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 CALM in capital letters. Hashtag make us calm. I literally wrote to Pandora and I said I think this woman's my spirit animal. On a more serious note, you might remember a while back we mentioned that one of our listeners, Gina Martin, was campaigning to make upskirt photography illegal. This was off the back of two men trying to secretly take photos up her skirt while she was at a concert this summer. She's collected thousands of signatures for a petition and Parliament have been incredibly responsive to media pressure. She and her lawyer are planning a big last push where they will ask people to post a picture of them holding a piece of paper with the hashtag stop skirting the issue and a message of support um, asking their followers to do the same with the hashtag in the caption on Twitter or Instagram. We'll post details of Gina's campaign and how you can help with the social media side of things on our Twitter page after this episode goes live. Good luck to Gina. Support for the Hilo comes from Google Pixel 2. Google has been built on asking questions and challenging the status quo. From search to email to maps and beyond, our brand new partner has a history of challenging the norm and finding a better way. Each week, we are going to do a curiosity challenge in which Pandora or I pose a question to each other, encompassing the Hilo's ethos of covering all things from the philosophical to the personal to the surreal to the absurd. So, Pandora, my question to you for our first ever curiosity challenge is, what is the true definition of love? That's a nice, easy one to kick me off with, Dolly. (laughs) I guess I want to answer this succinctly, but with reference to platonic love, fraternal love, as much as romantic love. So I would say that true love is a feeling of wholeness. True love in any shape or form makes you feel complete. All right, Alan de Botton. I actually think that's very good because that could be self-love as well. It's all of the above. The Google Pixel 2 is the world's best smartphone camera. It gives your best photos ever. Capture every moment, even in low light, so that starry nights look as good as sunny days. And let me tell you, they actually do. And I know that from if you look at all my photos from Thailand, I barely used a filter on any of them. 
And they're all taken on your Google Pixel? Yeah, they were amazing, the pictures. I always take pictures now on my phone when I go away because the Google Pixel camera is just astounding. And you can really tell because when you zoom on a picture, I think we're so used to seeing pictures in sort of Instagram format. Mm. Um, and often when you zoom on Instagram, it's such low resolution. Blurry, yeah. And when you, when you zoom on a Google Pixel picture, it really is astounding. We took our entire next batch of high-low pictures on the Google Pixel 2. In fact, one has gone up on our Instagram accounts today. Hope you enjoy it. Thanks very much to Google and the Google Pixel 2. It's now time for the top line, read by Dolly. Small request, Charlie. It was my beloved Joni Mitchell's birthday this week, so can we have a Joni Mitchell intro? Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone It paid paradise Donald Trump has arrived in China for a visit likely to focus heavily on tensions with North Korea. His Chinese counterpart has organised a lavish ceremony for him, despite Trump having previously attacked the country for what he describes as unfair trade practices. Aliens are imminent, sort of. French scientists have found chemical reactions happening in a hot core below the frozen crust of Saturn's moon, creating warm water. It is the first solid evidence that has ever been found of an energy source capable of fueling life. A recent raid on houses in East London has revealed some of the astonishing conditions people are paying a sum of rent for and living in. According to The Guardian, one man was found living in a windowless gas meter cupboard of a house with only room for a mattress and paying £250 a month to occupy it. Inspectors also found six people living in a shed paying £200 a month per person in rent. There's a limited edition Jeremy Corbyn Christmas jumper on sale. Designed and produced in the UK by Not Just, the unisex jumper features a photo of the Labour leader's face alongside some roses and a Santa hat. The jumper costs £35 and 50% of the profits will go to a charity which will be announced shortly. Another reason to want to live in Paris. The city is installing a sparkling water fountain in every neighbourhood. The project is called Fontaine Petillante. And the aim is to encourage people to drink more water and reduce plastic waste from water bottles. Many of the fountains will be in parks and public places. Human rights group Karma Nirvana claims LGBT people from South Asian communities are going online to find gay partners of the opposite sex for sham marriages because they fear being disowned. Its founder and chief executive, Jasvinder Sangira, said, The victim knows that if they were not to do that, they would lose their family completely. They would be totally ostracised and disowned, or they may risk significant harm or even murder in some cases. A poll of over 2,000 people for BBC Radio 5 Live has revealed 53% of women and 20% of men have experienced forms of sexual harassment in the workplace or at university that range from receiving inappropriate comments to physical sexual assaults. 63% of women who said they'd been harassed at work or a place of study said they didn't report it. And on the same grim subject, Ed Westwick is the latest in a string of high-profile men in Hollywood who have been accused of sexual assault. Actress Katrina Cohen has accused the actor of rape. He has responded to the allegations by saying that he doesn't know Katrina Cohen and has never forced himself on anyone. Virginia has elected its first transgender state legislator, the Democratic candidate Danica Rowan, ending long-time Republican and homophobe Robert Marshall's 26-year reign. 
A drunk female passenger made such a commotion on her Qatar Airways flight from Doha to Bali that the plane had to be diverted and make an emergency landing in Chennai, India. Her reason? She had discovered her husband's infidelity during the flight by reading messages on his phone while he was sleeping. Hell hath no fury. Don't it always seem to go That you don't know what you've got till it's gone They paid paradise, put up a parking lot of course, Ed Westwick's only the most recent. While you're in Thailand, there were tons of other ones mm. that came out. I mean, Dustin Hoffman was a pretty sad one. Mm. And on the subject of... I mean, these are all, and I think it's really important to say, these are all only accused. Um, as Ed Westwick has said, he's he has never met this woman. So it is obviously a very small percentage of women who ever lie about being assaulted. It is the minority. It is really important not to victim blame, all of those things, but it is also important to see allegations as allegations until they have been proved. Otherwise, either way, there are a lot of men being accused Mm. at the moment across all sorts of fields. Last week, news broke that 21-year-old Asya Bibi from rural Pakistan has murdered 15 of her husband's family with eight still ill in hospital in a bid to escape her arranged marriage. Asya had prepared the poisoned milk for her husband of two months, but he failed to drink it. Instead, it was turned into a batch of lassi, a yoghurt drink, and served to his extended family. We hear a lot about arranged marriages as some abstract thing that we're very horrified about but seem very distant from our western world but such weddings are not uncommon in you know rural areas of Pakistan and local media say the bride had tried multiple times to flee the marriage and return to her own parents who sent her back again Asya Bibi has been charged with murder and a man alleged to be her lover and his aunt have also been arrested it's really sad this story it's an utterly heartbreaking story what I found really heartbreaking about it was how scant the coverage was it was all over the media outlets but as a news story for just one day there was no op-eds there were no radio segments that I could find um, you know talking about arranged marriages and the role they sort of still play in um, second world and third world cultures no well written pieces by experts I tried really hard to secure a phone interview with an expert from um, Carmen Nirvana actually on arranged marriages for today's show but sadly no one was um, available to cooperate but in case anyone's wondering that is something we really wanted to do Uh, we're both really keen to learn more and to make sure that any discussion of a sort of cultural more like arranged marriages is thoughtful and respectful because it's really easy to trounce another culture but the social Mm, parameters are so utterly utterly different exactly I think what really struck me is that I read this amidst the acres of coverage of me too hashtag me too we're going to go on in the next topic to discuss the fallout as many famous men from politics, I think it's seven now, to Hollywood, to the press and beyond, are forced to resign as their transgressions come to light. But the juxtaposition of these two stories makes you realise that the subjugation of women is entrenched so much deeper than something we will ever thankfully experience. Here was a woman so utterly desperate for her freedom that she murdered an entire family. That obviously that says something. The Twitter response actually has been very much in support of Asia. What choice did she have? She was a girl defending herself with the only thing she found, tweeted one. Forced marriage is akin to kidnap and sustained rape said another. I've been reading through various Facebook discussions under certain articles and a man called Sol Sadiq wrote something really interesting on Facebook. 
I'm from the region and I could only imagine how abusive they must have been. That being said, a lot of you are totally misunderstanding how arranged marriages should work. It's a cultural thing. It's what's expected of many people and completely normal to them. They're not kidnapped and forced into a mating circle while their in-laws watch. Just the way that Western culture puts an emphasis on true love, these South Central Asian societies feel that true love will develop through partnership. It's their way of making sure that the families are compatible and around 90% of the time it turns out okay. These people learn to develop a partnership and eventually fall in love and if not in Islam women are allowed to dissolve a marriage simply by saying talak three times. However, as with anything, there are exceptions. Every once in a while, some person is forced into marriage without their consent or way out and stuck with a terrible family. I think that's really useful to have those distinctions made as I think it does all get conflated in in a Western mind as one thing. Exactly. And I've exchanged some emails this week with a lovely high-low listener named Rena, who is of Indian heritage um, and grew up in the UK. She extrapolated on the difference between an arranged marriage and a forced marriage. Often, I think, when we read about an arranged marriage, we assume it to be forced, but there is a difference. I think there's a lot of stigma around arranged marriage in the West due to ignorance, Rena told me. It's often seen as antiquated and repressed. However, the concept is misunderstood and confused with forced marriage. In the UK, we, Indian, Pakistani and Bangladeshi communities, use the term arranged marriage to describe being introduced to someone with the potential of marriage. Usually the parents play the role of matchmaker. Rena has four friends who have had arranged marriages. My best friend comes from a fairly strict Sikh family and a couple of years ago she graduated from uni and her parents started talking to her about getting married. She was happy to be introduced to some guys. They would text first then go on a date. Both sets of parents were very hands off but there was an understanding that they were talking and getting to know each other and that if things went well they would potentially get engaged and married at some point. It's like dating with your parents approval. She hit it off with one of the guys she was introduced to. They're happily married with two gorgeous children. They make a wonderful couple and I actually refer to them as my couple goals but in India and Pakistan things are different and it's very important to stress this because just because there are very positive experiences that are happening over here as Rina says does not mean that the the ramifications of that um in other parts of the world are, are, are not very serious my first reaction when I saw the headline was shock and then I just felt so sad she seemed desperate to escape her situation She ran away to her family, who just sent her back to her husband. I can't begin to imagine how horrific her life must be to be forced by your family to marry someone and then abandoned and left alone with a husband you don't love. Forced marriage is rare in the UK, but more commonplace in India and Pakistan. I think what comes to mind when most people hear the term arranged marriage is this, but it is not an accurate description of the term. Would Rina herself consider an arranged marriage? She says no, and that her mum supports her decision for her to date whoever she wants. Her parents did have an arranged marriage um, it was arranged not forced but they divorced when Rena was very young her mother is from Kenya and her father was from India uh, Rena ended by saying I can see the appeal of arranged marriages dating in London is tough well that's true so this was really interesting segment as I said we'd love to talk um, more about these kind of cultural differences particularly between the West and East and As I said another time, we'll try and get an expert to do a phone interview with us. Stay tuned and we hope to be able to bring you um, segments that hopefully can be educational because we're really keen to learn more about women around the world, particularly women such as Asia who have clearly had a really, really difficult life. Now onto the topic we're sure some of you have been waiting for, Kevin Spacey. 
Last week, the Hollywood actor and producer, Kevin Spacey, was accused of sexual assault by Star Trek actor Anthony Rapp. Rapp, now in his 40s, was just 14 years old when Spacey placed him on the bed, knowing his age, um, and he had to wriggle free. Other stories have now come to light from filmmaker Troy Montana, who says that Spacey groped him in 2003, barman Daniel Beale, who says that Spacey flashed him outside a pub in 2010 and then tried to give him £5,000 to keep quiet. What, of course, incensed people is that Spacey then tried to deflect the accusations by publicly stating that he was gay, something that had been assumed but never actually been confirmed by the actor himself for a very long time. In doing so, of course, he conflated the two, that sexually assaulting someone is a logical extension of being a closeted gay man and he made a lot of people very very angry understandably because it's a really damaging narrative that homosexuality must mean sexual perversion or transgression it's one that really impacted on gay men in the 20th century famously for the likes of people like oscar wilde but really it's a very dark and unfounded characterization that has stuck to a certain ignorant outlook well into this century if we're being honest agreed As for the quote-unquote revelation of him being gay, Owen Jones responded to it really well, I think. He wrote for The Guardian, How dare you, Kevin Spacey? One of the age-old tropes deployed against gay and bisexual men is that they pose a threat to children, that they are synonymous with paedophiles. This vicious lie has long proved useful in justifying the systemic persecution of gay and bisexual men. I completely agree with him, obviously, and beyond the fact his coming out is an insult to any person for whom speaking openly about their sexuality for the first time is a really sacred, transformative moment. It was as if he was trying to offer a newsy morsel to detract from the real issue. Which in no doubt he was. It's a tried and tested tabloid trick that often works, but doesn't tend to work when you do it as a public statement. Yeah. Um, There was a charity, I feel like it was maybe like LGBTQ plus teen charity in the US or something. They put it really well when they said Kevin Spacey could have been a real inspiration to teenagers in coming out. Um, Instead, he came out as a way to try and deflect from assaulting one of the Mm. very people that would need his support. Mm. It was was a very neatly surmised... um, riposte. It went down very, very badly, unsurprisingly. I actually had quite a few... um, male friends sending me emails being like please tell me you've seen this it seemed to really anger um, which is great seemed to really anger men obviously it particularly angered a lot of gay men there have been a lot of gifs circulating or gifs as your (laughs) idol Gemma Collins calls them Dolly about people trying to get out of crimes by just saying I'm gay as if it's like the ultimate disclaimer what we want to talk about today is Netflix's reaction to the spacey debacle so Netflix issued a statement I think within 48 hours of this all coming to light saying Netflix will not be involved with any further production of House of Cards that includes Kevin Spacey. We will continue to work with Media Rights Capital, which is presumably his company, during this hiatus time to evaluate our path forward as it relates to the show. I'm interested that Netflix aren't subscribing to the innocent until proven guilty mantra. I know. I was very surprised, actually. I'm not a House of Cards fan, but I know many people for whom it's a box set that they almost Mm. live and die by, my parents (laughs) being two of them. It has a huge, huge mainstream following. Not that that should excuse or eclipse Kevin Spacey's um, alleged sexual assault, but I was just very pleasantly surprised by how fast Netflix reacted. But I suppose this is now the time we're in, and hopefully we are in a post-Weinstein world where the things accusers say are taken seriously the moment that they're said, the first time that they're heard. I also think that big media companies and publishers right now are completely terrified. Terrified, yeah. Yeah. 
absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. terrifying. House of Cards should live on without Kevin Spacey, of course, provided he agrees to remove himself as producer and then they can go on to make other series. So hopefully, you know, a lot of people won't lose their jobs because there are real economic repercussions of shutting down a whole hugely enormous production. But just to clarify, as I'm confused, will they be removing the previous series from the streaming service that do feature him or only not working with him in the future do we know i don't actually know and i actually think that's the real defining thing me for too. me there i don't think his previous series should be removed before these allegations came into public consciousness but i do think he shouldn't feature in any future series it raised a lot of interesting points about art versus the artist and the legacy of an artist because of course people will still be watching those previous series um it's something that Lena Dunham touched on very eloquently when she spoke about her love of Woody Allen's work. Yes, we inserted a clip of it a few episodes back. It was on her WTF episode with Mark Maron. She spoke very intelligently on this subject where she said she was particularly unimpressed with how people of her generation and particularly people on the internet felt that they had to class Woody Allen in such binary terms and she said you can still appreciate his past work and hold it close to you and know it was important to you and also know it's very probable he molested his young daughter. Yeah I was talking about it with my husband and I think it's something that people will be very divided about because obviously Mm. um, if you're an artist the greatest validation to your life is someone appreciating your life's work Mm. so if there's someone that's conflicted about you as a person but still loving your work does the artist really give a shit yeah um i do think having heard lena speak on this you, you i felt like that that was a very good way of putting it help me understand that you can feel conflicted about the artist but find the art itself powerful and i was listening to a segment on the radio this weekend i think it was radio 4 annoyingly i didn't make a note i've been trying to find it and i can't but there was an art critic reminding us that many of the artists we revere have had dubious backgrounds and dodgy morals mm. ditto the authors that you know we we kind of really laud indiewire pointed out an interesting point that white men tend to get off the hook when it comes to sexual assault more than black men and that Mm, their work mm. is kind of directly impacted in very different ways. So the black director, Nate Parker, saw his film of last year, Birth of the Nation, completely tank and his career follow suit after allegations of rape in the 90s against him resurfaced. But Casey Affleck, on the other hand, who was accused by two women of sexual assault, won an Oscar in 2017. I remember the culture writer for the Sunday Times, Jonathan Dean, wrote something quite interesting about that at the time you know are we allowed to think that he deserved an Oscar for an extraordinary film Mm. whilst also deploring you know what he he allegedly did Spacey has close friends with a lot of the industry Um, I'd be really interested to see what follows I keep thinking to myself what does Robin Wright Penn think about all this because they are incredibly close um, and work together very closely on House of Cards and as of yet I haven't seen her release a statement Mm. I wonder if she will end up leaving House of Cards because he does I mean it I I know that this is not the relevant thing, particularly in this, but I I imagine. But it sets that, a precedent in a very new world, so it is. I think it's I think it's a very uncomfortable position yeah. for her to be in. That said, it won't come as a surprise to a lot of people that that knew him. The underage bit, I I would imagine might, but. But my husband pointed out that he'd long heard about Spacey's champagne picnics, which is when he arranged a picnic in an empty theatre lit only by stage lights with very young men. To be clear, the champagne picnics don't necessarily spell assault, but they do indicate that Spacey was known to have a public predilection for young men. Yeah, I mean, his sexuality was the worst kept secret in show business, but I I did hear some very, very watered-down rumours of him being lecherous. 
Do you think you can admire good art and hate the artist? Or, as I've read a few people say this week, do you think the sort of art versus the artist debate is hackneyed and we just we should just kill it completely? No, I think you can admire good art and hate the artist. I think purely in terms of a viewing experience, when you watch old episodes of House of Cards, just as like when you watch old films of Woody Allen's, a memory is a tracing of a tracing. So what you remember when you watch episodes that go back that far is you're remembering your first viewing experience that's what nostalgia is and that's what comfort tv is and that's why we always return to the same books or films when we're feeling low i think if you were to watch a brand new series of house of cards featuring kevin spacey after he's been accused it would be so tarnished and tainted by those horrific accusations that it wouldn't be like a pleasant or immersive viewing experience anyway this is all speaking purely in very abstract terms of viewer and creator. I mean, the main reason I wouldn't want him in a new series is obviously you don't want to be giving power and money and a public platform to an alleged abuser because you're therefore sort of excusing his actions. That piece you quoted by Lindy West about Harvey Weinstein when we discussed him a couple of episodes ago feels quite pertinent here. Um, we are coming for your legacy, meaning, you know, your art doesn't get to live on. Yeah, exactly. The original art can live on as it's been important or influential for so many, but they will almost be removed from it. As you said, I think what is inevitable is that the legacy of them as artists within those creations will vanish. It's now time for Ask the Hilo. To dear sweet Dolly and Pandora, I have recently broken up with a friend of six plus years. Traditionally, Susan and I had a wonderful friendship that was loving, supportive, fun and largely very strong and happy. The last few years, however, I started to notice a shift. I started to notice that Susan was losing friendships quite regularly and that she was not really cultivating others besides the one I shared with her. I'm 40 years old and when I became serious with my boyfriend and stopped going out as much, Susan became very hurt and upset. I was as transparent and sympathetic as possible, but she was quite clear in that she was not willing to pursue a diluted version of our friendship, i.e. one where we would see each other less, talk less, etc. We came to the sad conclusion that we were just not on the same page with what we wanted out of the friendship and that it might be best to go our separate ways been a few months since we parted ways and I must admit that I feel hugely relieved. I'm 90% sure that I made the right choice in the end but of course some guilt lingers because I know how much I hurt her. Plus what do you do with all the memories? I went to her brother's wedding, was a shoulder for her to cry on when her mother was diagnosed with cancer a few years back, not to mention the countless fun trips together, music festivals, movies, books, hours of advice and sharing over wine. I'm not quite sure what to do with it all and would love any advice you can offer. It's a really interesting um, email for a number of reasons. I'm glad you chose this, plucked mm. this from the inbox. For starters, I was really interested that you are 40. It's mm. not often that we get emails about friendships from someone who is not considered pretty young. I think there is this assumption, which is totally not true, that your friendships are sorted by the time you get to a certain age. No, they're like and relationships that, you have to work on. And them. that all those slightly sort of trivial friend problems are something that are typically um, encountered by young women rather than older women. Um, my second thought is that I'm going to be completely frank this read as quite eerie, this email. Um, Susan's behaviour, I found, made me feel quite constricted. Um, I sort of heard alarm bells when you said that she had dropped all of her other mm -hmm. friendships. 
and that you and her seem to enjoy a very intense friendship. I actually thought, before I read to the end of the letter, you were going to tell me that Susan had said she was in love with you because it sounds like she um, had certainly placed a lot of focus on you to to the extent that she had dropped all of her other friendships um, and she was very upset when you were in a relationship that meant that you weren't going out all the time and, and all those things that are very normal. I also find it really odd that she said she couldn't accept a more diluted version of friendship. Again, this is something that's so natural. You know, as, as your life wax and wanes on kind of the social scale, it's just assumed that your friends... You know, no one has a right over how much you you go out so I think it's really sad because Susan had dropped all of her other friends in order to pursue a very intense friendship with you which ultimately didn't work for you and so the only way is as you said to cut it off completely now you feel relieved which is great but I'm not surprised you feel sort of a residual sadness and I imagine a bit of guilt because she's gone from playing this very important large role in your life to playing no role at all aside from that what do you do with all the memories? I think that's really interesting because I think that's something that everyone has to encounter. I particularly find it with, you know, ex-boyfriends when they are your best... When you're going out with someone or you're married to someone, they are your your best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you break up and you have lost your best friend. And, and and where do you put all those memories? You You sort of had to put them into a little box in your brain. And time does allow you to do that. Mm-hmm. I have little brain boxes of not just old relationships but friendships which maybe um haven't stayed as strong as they once were i haven't had to cut anyone out like you have have i was going to say have you ever had a friend divorce no no i have i have friends that i have become more distant from but i have never had a friend divorce no Mm. um i feel very lucky i haven't because it sounds really stressful like Mm. um like a breakup uh, what do you think, Dolly? I find this one quite a hard one to. I think two answer. separate things. I think first of all, as as Pandora said, alarm bells went off that this was um, an unhealthy dynamic, and you know the thing that you're taught in therapy over and over again is it it's no one person's job to provide your soul happiness. So you can't feel the weight of guilt for her life. You haven't been cruel with her. You were transparent with her. And where you two were with your lives wasn't compatible anymore. And as Pandora says, it's like relationships. You can still cherish that time that you had together and who both of you were in that time together. And like it or not, you both would have helped form who that who both of those women respectively. So you will always carry a piece of her with you. And in time, you'll be able to hold that close and appreciate that. Um, but I don't feel... If you're feeling nothing but relief, I think you've made the right decision. And relationships end you know I think that's fine one thing I would say is that in your longer letter you said I used to have really intense um, friendships with women I now don't have that anymore I don't want them anymore I want to stay in all the time and and be with my boyfriend I would be really cautious of that because this is something that I've seen time and time again with women in my life and it's left me fucking heartbroken where you know you're nearly 40 whatever age you are you don't have to go out any more than you want to you know if a friend only wants to see you going out and getting lashed that means that they have a problem (laughs) that means they have a problem that's nothing to do with you if you if you love someone you should want to spend time with them in whatever capacity what I would say is I have felt by women before that are very close to me that when they meet a boyfriend they go right okay 
I'm hunkering down. You can all fuck off. I find this absolutely extraordinary and for all my faults, I'm so glad this is not something I've done. You know, having a loving um, and fulsome relationship does not negate your need or ability to sustain mm. really close friendships. I have consistently been flabbergasted But it's it's, it's something I would really watch out for and I, I sympathise with you because I've had that before once in my life where I fell in love with someone. I suddenly had this feeling of, I don't deep down I thought I don't really need anyone else in life anymore this is my person this is my person I'm going to nest with and close the doors of the world to and it's just me and him and he's my family now but it's really dangerous it's 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 temporary that feeling of falling in love and also it's much more likely sadly the truth is statistically it's much more likely that that romantic partnership is going to let you down than a platonic one and you don't want to shut everyone out and then do what has happened to a lot of women I know when they break up they turn around they've got no one there so don't push people out of your life because you're feeling cosy and insular in your relationship that's all I would say just what you mentioned about um her talking about in her longer letter the intense friendship she had before is it does sound as well like it's perhaps not just Susan who initiated this very intense relationship mm. you are someone that fostered intense relationships as yes, well yes. and intense female friendships can actually be quite dangerous I think because they can engender this territorialness yes. um, and uh, jealousy when the, a romantic partner comes along and perhaps you were using Susan as a surrogate partner mm. um, until you found a romantic relationship and you have to take responsibility for that and as there well. could have been blurred lines yeah. with that as yeah. well um, it's really hard for us to without having you know met either of you and just going off your letter it's very hard to know um, the motivations for either of you when entering that friendship but ultimately you've decided that it was just meant to be a friendship mm. you know nothing more mm. and ultimately you offered her as you said a diluted version of friendship which again is such an interesting concept to me mm. I don't I don't know how you do dilute friendship but perhaps if you have had this really intense friendship slash relationship then diluting it down just means a normal friendship mm. um, and you offered her that and she doesn't want to do that I hope for her sake she manages to find a way in which she can have a quote unquote conventional friendship because um, she might struggle as you did to find people that will respond in a similarly intense um, way I think don't feel any guilt send nothing but good wishes and love out to her and at one point in the future you'll be able maybe to you cherish your memories again. Maybe, maybe she's going through something maybe you're going through something you're pushing and pulling each other in different directions you know maybe she needs to find fulfillment elsewhere in order to be yeah. friends with you again and then and then more generally I would just make sure that you're always I mean you're 40 you probably know this way better than I do but I would always make sure you're taking moments to reassess the balance of the relationships in your life Thank you very much to everyone who wrote into the High Low. If you have a question or a recommendation, because we do love them, we often, as you can tell from today, read, watch and listen to stuff you've recommended. You can email us, show at gmail.com. Though please do note we will not be able to respond to every email. You can tweet us at the Hilo Show. Thank you very much to Acast for letting us use your studio. See you next week. Bye-bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.